you know, we can't do anything about six months from now. We've got to go day by day. If you don't like it, then you're welcome to leave. But that's the way that we do things around here. We play in New Jersey, man, so there's going to be some chippiness, there's going to be some griminess, but we're leaving it within the line, and I'll take a team like that. Once a giant, always a giant. For me, it's only a giant. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of All In with Art Stapleton, a New York Giants podcast brought to you by the USA Today Network. I am your aforementioned host, Art Stapleton, and welcome back. We took a nice break over the Thanksgiving holiday, needed to kind of recharge the batteries, and what do you know, the Giants come up with a huge win against the Philadelphia Eagles, 13-7. May not have been the prettiest game in the world, certainly was not, but the defense was outstanding. And now the Giants have won three straight games at home, beating teams that at the time came into the stadium as potential playoff caliber opponents. Carolina Panthers when they came in, the Las Vegas Raiders, and now the Philadelphia Eagles. Seems like when teams are on a roll and they play the Giants, the Giants kind of step up and surprise. This is really in their weight class. You know, if you think of this in terms of a boxing match, the Raiders, the Panthers, the Eagles, there are teams that are on their level. When they've stepped out of their weight class on the road at Tampa Bay, Obviously, when they play the Rams, when the Rams were cooking, they're obviously a different team now, a month and a half later. But here the Giants are at 4-7, and seven, got a lot going on. On today's show, Julian Love, one of the most valuable players on this defense the last couple weeks, especially with Logan Ryan out with COVID and on the COVID reserve list. He's now back. But Julian Love plays up to four positions in a given week for the Giants. Both safety spots, the nickel and outside corner. Also the, you know, the money backer spot that this team relies on. Love has done a little bit of everything, and he's really the glue guy on the back end. He's a great interview. I've known Julian from the moment he stepped inside the Giants facility. So I think you'll enjoy that. Uh, interview with him and that's coming up and then we'll have our behind frenemy line segment with joe shad of the palm beach post a member of the usa today network family and a lot of interesting things from joe i think you'll enjoy uh, his perspective on the dolphins where they're at four wins in a row brian flores a month ago was on the hot seat when they were talking about Deshaun Watson and how Tua can't play and this defense, what's happened. Well, what do you know? Miami has turned it on now, and they are a team that's being talked about as a legit playoff contender in the AFC. We'll see if the Giants can do something about that. And lastly, the big story this week that we really won't know the official word until Sunday, most likely, is the status of Daniel Jones. Blindsided a little bit by the neck strain that he suffered early in the game against the Eagles. And he was limited in practice on Wednesday. That's when I'm taping our show this week. Joe Judge is adamant that Daniel Jones will have an opportunity 
to play this weekend. Daniel Jones says he's doing everything he can with a focus to play. You've got reports from NFL Network saying that it's already been determined that Mike Glennon will start against the Dolphins and Daniel Jones will not play. You have rumors on social media uh, regarding the status of Jones for the rest of the season. Here's what I know. There's uncertainty. Is it likely that Daniel Jones sits against the Dolphins? Yeah, I, w- I would say it's unlikely that he plays uh, against Miami. Just for the simple fact that, look, quarterbacks always wear a red jersey in practice. He's a non-contact participant in practice. So the concerns for the Giants are the fact that it's one thing to be able to practice. It's another thing to be able to take contact. Are you going to put him out there without an opportunity to really see where he's at with that neck. Uh, and if it's a muscular thing and it's a strain, then you're just dealing with that. Uh, and you want to treat it. You want to see if he can get as healthy as he can. And then you reassess for next week. But do I know for sure that Daniel Jones is not going to play Sunday? No, I don't. And I don't think anyone knows that. I don't think they've put a stamp on it yet. I think Daniel Jones will likely have more re- test results and more checkups later in the week. We're just going to have to see and what happens uh, down the line. But it's certainly not an optimal situation for Daniel Jones and the Giants. Just when they had hoped that they might be able to get on a roll and evaluate where Jones is uh, under a new offensive scheme, so to speak, or at least not a scheme, but a uh, approach or an umbrella with Freddie Kitchens calling the plays, and then obviously Jerry Shaplinski and Ty Tolbert and the rest of the offensive staff being involved in uh, the game planning and trying to figure out how to get this offense going. Because right now, it's not sustainable. You can't win enough games in this league uh, when you're scoring one touchdown a game. You know, the last two touchdowns the Giants have scored the last two, two weeks are by Andrew Thomas on a tackle-eligible play and Chris Myrick. Uh, in the end zone on a nice play, uh, a wacky catch, good catch by Myrick. You're talking about a walk-on from Temple uh, and spent the entire season in the practice squad until last week, catches the other touchdown. So this is an offense that needs to find itself. I'm not sure if that'll happen with Mike Glennon if Daniel Jones does not play and against a Miami defense that has uh, been playing very, very well lately. So... Before we get into our interview with Julian Love, let me remind you that this show is brought to you by our friends at Tipico. Tipico Sportsbook, a global sports betting leader, is now live in New Jersey and Colorado. Make your favorite sports more interesting with Tipico's fast and easy mobile sportsbook app. For a limited time, new users from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Terms and conditions apply 21 and over. See site for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. And without further ado, we head to our luxurious podcast studio on the patio overlooking the practice fields at the Giants training facility in East Rutherford, New Jersey, for my interview with Julian Love. All right, joining me now for our elaborate podcast studio at the patio at the Giants facility. It's number 20, Julian Love. Julian, thanks for joining me. I've known you since you walked in this building. 
it's been a nice uh nice little ride for you the last couple of years and now uh, this week yeah it's uh wow it's been quite a ride um yeah I knew you from the from the get-go so i'm yeah, happy to be here appreciate you doing this i know you guys are bouncing around uh you know i left this summer when we were in cleveland and you know you talked about how joe gave you the nickname duct tape uh but I don't know if you could come up with a better nickname for, you know, maybe Band-Aid. I don't know. But <laughs> the amount of the amount of positions you've played really since jump when you got here, yeah. how many on a given week this year, how many positions are you kind of plotting out in your head? You know, okay, this is what they're telling me I'm going to do, but this is also what I know I might be doing on a game day. Yeah, so this year I would say it's been on average three to four. Um, it's always – I'm always accounting for the nickel, um, both safeties. Um, and then the dime when we get into that package. And so if you want kind of that minus like the specialty ones, which is like the extra end of the game ones, so I would say, yeah, three to four on average. How how challenging is that? I mean, you're a guy who's always known to kind of dig in, and I'll get to that in a minute about the video stuff. But when you're going into a week, you know, Joe even said the other the other day is that, you know, they come to you on Wednesday, they tell you what your roles are, and you say, okay, coach, let's go. I mean, but there is challenges. You almost – you don't want to take in too much, I would imagine, right? Yeah, I think that's a, that's the, the tough part about it. Like you said, I try to embrace it, but it is challenging. I don't want that ever to go unknown that, like, uh, oh, it's, it's easy. It's it's really not uh, a lot of the times. Um, and what it takes for me is just to really kind of grind away and honestly be comfortable making mistakes. Uh, I feel like I make you know, a good amount of mistakes early in the week, especially playing so many positions, just so I can get it corrected and just so I can make sure – I'm doing everything instinctually and right. Uh, you once told me that knowledge is everything. And then you shared a story to me about back at practice at Notre Dame one time with Brandon Wimbush was the mm-hmm. quarterback. You remember the story you told no. me about? You, you said he was essentially tipping his pitches and his throws. And oh. Because you were studying his tendencies that you realized you pick up two interceptions on him in practice because of the way his feet were. Oh, yeah. Um, so you recall it. T- Tell me what you remember about that. Yeah, so I think, you know, or definitely, like in in, in practice, you know, in college, of course, um, when you're going against, you know, back then you go against the offense, I feel like way more uh, you do in the league. Uh, and so you get to know your guys. You get to know the, the plays that are being called. You get to know, you know, alignments, uh, especially the easiest thing. I try not to cheat the play too much, but the quarterbacks, and, you know, where his eyes are, where his feet are, where his tails were. Um, that's how I, I was really productive in college. I felt like uh, everyone just really gave their hand. Um, and you find that in the league too. You gotta dig a little deeper. You gotta study a little harder because everyone's self scouting nowadays. You know, on the league, and um, and so I think that's just a part of it. You know, just really being aware. You don't want to play blind out there. You want to have some intuition right. and uh, you know try to get yours whenever you can. You know, I got I gotta ask you about Notre Dame. This has been a crazy couple yeah. of days for you. You're Mr. <laughs> Notre Dame. I mean, around Man. here, how, how blindsided were you? How surprised were you that when you saw the first report of? Brian Kelly going to LSU. Yeah, I will say I was uh, extremely surprised. I I thought BK would be a lifetime coach in Notre Dame. Um, despite you know everything else, I thought I'm like yeah, he's that's the that's the pinnacle of co- coaching, so to speak, in college ball. Uh, but it's understandable, you know, Notre Dame's not going to be paying uh, as much as some other schools, uh, and so yeah, he made the choice for him. Were you surprised? I, I mean, uh, surprised in terms of. 
what comes next now? Now, now the speculation. You're a guy who's still involved in the program. Yeah. You know, you're here. I mean, who do? What do you want to see happen? Who do you? Do you have a choice in your head? Or you uh, be yeah, I've been I've been engaged in some talks. Uh, we're gonna, we got to start a campaign for Julian Love, interim head coach for the <laughs> their bowl game uh, or for their whatever game they have next. Uh, but no, seriously, um, you know they have some good young candidates right now who are the coordinators: Tommy yep. Reese, the OC, uh, Marcus Streaming, the DC. I know. Kids are super high on them. I'm high on them. Um, they're, they're guys people actually play for as opposed to, uh, you know, the, the big guy. You play for your coordinators, your position coaches, all that stuff. Um, but then, you know, there, there's some options. You know, obviously the Cincinnati head coach, Fickle. Right. Uh, hot name right now that everybody's talking about. Um, I know the AD, Jack Schwarber, is going to make the right call. Um, he's not going uh, to rush into it. I know that's – talking to him he's not going to yeah. rush into this decision for sure uh well it'll be interesting to watch right I and mean, yeah. we'll see what happens uh tell me about i mean whenever you set a record at a school it's it's mm-hmm. impressive but you know you you set a, a record at notre dame yeah. you know for the past breakups and i'm sure you had other things across the board but what's that i mean does that resonate in the moment and then even beyond that the fact that your name is now in the record books at really the the most prestigious program in you know college football history i mean they're at the yeah. top if they're not number one. Oh yeah no it was nuts my sophomore year when i was breaking up a lot of passes making a lot of plays kind of getting a name for myself uh having 20 pass breakups in the season uh i broke it with previous records like 13 i'm like wow this is uh i shattered it like this is this is amazing like i'm a, i'm not name record holder um and then you know continuing that my junior season uh, breaking the career past breakups um, by Clarence Ellis, uh, <laughs> pretty special. Um, and so, yeah, to play like Notre Dame, I really, I'm really proud of that. It's one of my my proudest accomplishments for sure. Your dad told me a story when you were a rookie about sitting down and breaking down video when you were seven years old. <laughs> yeah, that you guys would break down flag football video basically. And uh, how did that come about? And what was that like? And how much has that just translated? You know. 20 some odd years later for you to the pros and helping you what you're doing here. Yeah, so it started off as really my mom just recording our games like any mom or parent would do. Um, but then, you know, we were very successful at a young age. We were pretty talented, my siblings and I, um, even, you know, playing like Pee Wee ball or whatever. And, uh, and so we'd go home, like, oh, so what's the touchdown that we had? And so from young age, it started off at like watching like the good stuff, uh, which is always fun. Like the like, games you lose or the tough games you play that ball, you don't watch right. when you're young. Um, but then I, I got a little older, you know, turning 10, 11, 12, whatever. Um, before high school, I, my parents were big on making me watch all the games um, and kind of understanding like what happened like poorly. Uh, not in like a weird way, like, you know, these parents nowadays, you know, are very aggressive in that sort of sense. But just in a pure way, just of not like, like you did some good things, too. It's OK to make mistakes uh, type of mindset. Um, and so now, you know, after games, my fiance would catch me. She, up at night, just kind of watching the game over again. I'll watch the TV copy, the the film copy, um, just to just watch it, uh, just see what I'm doing. Pounding the uh, the table when you're watching Sunday's game that you weren't able to hold on to that pick. <laughs> yeah, those, you know, man, like obviously no one eats it, eats at no one more than me. Um, and I try to keep level-minded. It's like, all right, get the next one. Like, it's okay. Um, but yeah, for sure, that was one that I wish I had. It's tip drill, man. That was close. it was drill. close though. Man, I I try to rush the catch. I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> I'll do it next time though, for sure. <laughs> nice. <laughs> what was the biggest lesson you learned as a rookie here? Man, stay ready. Honestly, stay ready. So I have to get ready. Um, my college coach, position coach, told me that. 
And, you know, that season I was kind of in the wings for most of the year, um, I felt like. And then the last – about this time of the year, um, back my my rookie season, you know, unfortunately Jabril went down and I stepped up and started the last – went from not playing really any defense to starting the last five games. Um, and so I, I say resilient my rookie year. I feel like as a rookie – it's easy to be like, man, like I wasn't doing this in college. Like this is how, this isn't me. Right. Um, but I stayed, I stayed ready until yeah. When you watch uh, Tua and the Dolphins, I know you probably have just started breaking them down. But what kind of challenges does that offense present this weekend? Man, they're they're vibing. They're on a roll. Uh, you know, four games, and uh, you know he's talented. They do a lot of. Um, they're very balanced, and so they can attack you a lot of ways. And they're trying to find, put their playmakers in the best position. And they have talented playmakers. And so, you know, it's a tough uh, matchup for us. And so we really got to be intentional about how we go into this week. Uh, you threw out the first pitch at oh, yeah. the Chicago White Sox game, right, earlier this year. Yeah, summer? I did. <laughs> what was that like? How did that come about? And did you have any concerns or nervousness getting oh out there? Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, I hit up my agent like, hey, is it possible for me to throw out the first pitch? I'm a Chicago guy. Like, I don't know how random this is and it's like yeah we can work on it uh we waited for all the protocols to go down so i can throw it from the mound uh, i didn't want to just throw it in like an outfield or something right uh and then leading up to it i found out it was pretty exciting and um my family everyone was like right, just get it across the plate just lob it in there like don't skip it don't overthrow it i'm like nah i wanted to put some zip on it that was my whole mindset like i'm not gonna baby toss this everyone sent me 50 cent videos all this crazy stuff <laughs> And the day of, I'm getting ready. I'm like, I've been warm. I'm like, yeah, I've been practicing. Everyone's like, hey, I've been thinking, like, you should just toss it. Like, you shouldn't throw it hard. <laughs> and I got up there. It looked way bigger the backstop than it actually was. It was just me and the mascot. <laughs> and I put some fire on it, a little, little high, little high, uh, little high heat. And so yeah, that was nice. fun. Uh, last thing before we get to the two minute drill. Yeah, I appreciate your time. Uh, you know, you, I know you got engaged. You, yes. You know, college sweetheart. Yep. High school sweetheart. High school sweetheart. Okay. Yeah. Um, but you also decided to put your hair, <laughs> potentially dyeing your hair on the line for Xavier McKinney's Pro Bowl bid, right? Yes. If, if Zay gets to the Pro Bowl, you're going to dye half your hair blonde. Uh-huh. Did that really sit well with the fiance? Oh my gosh! So yeah, I did not run that by her before I tweeted it. She found out like a week later that I said I tweeted that she didn't have Twitter, um, and so she's like, "What? Like, are you going?" I'm like, "Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's playing well. Maybe it'll encourage people to vote for him more." Um, and so yeah, we'll we'll figure it out because I am getting married in the summer, and so I can't do anything too crazy uh, or too permanent. Um, but yeah, she's a. Uh, she was questioning that call for sure. All right, we'll make this quick. The two-minute drill, yeah. usually have some fun stuff. Okay. Uh, toughest player you've had to tackle in your NFL career? That I've had to tackle in my NFL career? Uh, I would say I have zero idea. I would say uh, probably Gronk. He was just a big, strong guy, yeah. You were you were on him a lot uh, Man, yeah. in Tampa. So. Yeah, I was on him uh, heavy until, so, yeah. I uh, did a solid job, but, you know, that's guy you have to really try to attack nice okay best meal you've ever had best meal i've ever had i love love italian food and so the spicy rigatoni from carbone here in new york that's a special dish that's that's really good awesome <laughs> well last one i right i've hit this is gonna become a regular because i've hit the guys the last couple of weeks but been fascinated by the answers you're stranded on an island yeah. you got to pick two teammates to be with you who are they and why and give me <laughs> give me leo 
and give me uh, London Williams and give me JB, Jim Bradbury. I feel like that's a good mesh of uh, of guys. I, I might, think Bradbury uh, picked you too. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. I feel like if you ask most of the defense, they should pick me, honestly. I feel like I'm resourceful. <laughs> um, and I can adapt. And so, but yeah, I picked those two guys. Leo's adventurous and JB's pretty chill. So he'd be cool to kick it with, on the beach with. Seems like Leo would come back with food pretty quickly. Leo would be the hunter, the gatherer, everything. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Julian Love, thank you for joining me on All In. And good luck this weekend in Miami. All right. Thanks, Art. Okay, we're going to get ready for our Behind Frenemy Line segment. Uh, first, special thanks to Julian Love for joining us. He's obviously had a pivotal role the last couple weeks, especially with Logan Ryan down. Logan Ryan should be back this week after spending time in COVID protocols. So now Love has a role where from play to play, he could be that much influential for this Giants defense. Very important against an offense that's cooking right now. So for our Behind Front of Me Line segment, I welcome in Joe Shad of the Palm Beach Post. Obviously, I'm also a member of the USA Today Network. Joe and I have known each other for a while. Joe, welcome to the show. And first things first, I would imagine a month ago, if someone would have told you, hey, you can sign up for where you are today, I think the Giants, uh, the Dolphins would have taken it. Absolutely. And we knew all along, Art, that the Dolphins' schedule started off very difficult and was going to soften at a certain point. And just before the Ravens game, that upset on national television, I did say, listen, if the Dolphins are somehow able to pull off an upset in this game, and Jacoby Brissett was starting, Tua came off the bench to help win that game, there is a chance to make a run to 7-7 and and have an outside chance at a playoff bid. And so one uh, trademark of the Brian Flores era, and this is the third year of it, is that the team has started off slowly and gotten very hot and finished very strongly. Kind of the mark of a well-coached team, I think. You know, it's kind of funny. You say the the Brian Flores, uh, the, the era and the blueprint, and obviously we all know it goes back to New England. It's funny because when Joe Judge was hired here last year, uh, people pointed to, obviously, Matt Patricia in Detroit, which was the uh, blueprint that Giants fans did not want, but then also pointed to Flo in Miami uh, and said, that is what you should expect from Judge and the Giants. Uh, take me inside a little bit. A year ago, when Joe Judge gets the job with the Giants, and I know uh, Brian Flores was asked this uh, yesterday, when Patrick Graham is granted permission to interview for the defensive coordinator's job with the Giants and then ends up taking it. It seemed everyone wanted to know why would Brian Flores allow his defensive coordinator, the guy he brought down there, to just essentially pack up and leave, and that's what he did when when Graham interviewed for the job. And then to see the job that Graham has done, from your perspective, when that whole thing went down, how surprised were you that they just – you know, one year into it, allowed Graham to go. And, and when you heard what Flores said the other day, are you surprised that it was kind of friendship over competition, really, it seemed like, uh, granting Graham the opportunity to come to the Giants? Well, there's no doubt that Brian Flores gave Patrick Graham an opportunity to run his own defense. And the defensive coordinator at the Miami Dolphins, whether you're Josh Boyer, their current D.C., or anyone, there's always going to be the perception that it's actually Flores designing the game plans, that it's actually Flores pulling the strings on game day. 
Um, but also, you know, yes, it was nice he let his friend go, but there's also the loyalty aspect. Once Graham said he was interested in leaving, he was done because there is a loyalty element in that patriot way. You know, basically, you know, you bleed and die for us. You work however many hours a day. And these guys probably work more hours than the average coaching staff, either in the NFL or college. So, uh, And he felt that Josh Boyer was ready to step into the role. And last year, Josh Boyer was a defensive assistant coach of the year candidate as the Dolphins had one of the best defenses in the NFL. But again, people said, oh, well, how much involvement did Brian Flores have? Even yeah. at the beginning of this year when the Dolphins' defense was struggling and that it began to have success over the last four weeks. People said, oh, look, look at Flo. He's got a play-calling sheet on the sideline. Clearly, he's now calling the plays. Well, no. He's obviously in constant communication with Boyer, but Boyer is calling the plays. You know, let, let's get into it. You said that, you know, the idea that stuck with me, and because that's kind of what we saw last year from the Giants, in the idea that, the Dolphins knew that they would struggle early this year. Not that they would struggle, but they would use that time. Judge has said it several times with the Giants that September is kind of an extended preseason. Now, you can't do that when you're trying to build something and you don't get the wins on the back end. Now, obviously, uh, Flores and the Dolphins are getting hot right now. The Giants have yet to get hot. But there was a time this year where, I mean, you started all the rumblings with Deshaun Watson. Now, whether or not that was legit, I mean, I guess that depends on who you talk to. Um, and Oh, no, it was. Yeah, I mean, which is crazy. You know, it's crazy to think, again, that you guys are here now. I mean, there was talk about, you know, Flores, was he going to be out? You know, that kind of thing. And again, I don't know how legit that was, but uh, now it just seems like, it seems like you guys have down there rewound the situation and almost Flores is now back out in front of the program and moving in a positive direction. That's not easy to do in, in today's NFL. The Dolphins are moving in, in the right direction um, in, in recent weeks, no doubt. You know, one of the things, obviously, there's a lot of talk about Judge and Flores coming from the Patriots tree. One of the things the Dolphins have done in the last four or five weeks is sort of rediscovered their identity on defense. Now, the Dolphins' defense at their best, which they have been over the last four weeks, is blitzing, is attacking, is relentless, is high risk, is we're going to let our Pro Bowl corners play one-on-one. If they get beat, they get beat. We don't think it's going to happen very often. So the Dolphins have this aggressive attacking mindset, which is wonderful because it's fun to watch, it's entertaining. Conversely, on offense, the Dolphins have had no identity. Now, Tua Tungvaloa has missed, you know, five starts due to injury, and so that has inhibited their ability to do some of the things they wanted to do from a run-pass option perspective, kind of simulating some of the college things Tua did in, in Alabama. But what I'm driving at is this. Flores will go to his grave saying that he does not believe in the concept of having an identity. He believes, as Bill Belichick did, that identities are week-to-week game planning capitalizing on the strengths of matchups and exploiting the weaknesses of your opponent. It's very boring. So many of the things you hear from (laughs) Flores are mundane and repetitive. We don't want to beat ourselves. We want to be smart. We want to be tough. We want to be disciplined. We don't want to make mistakes. It's all the same crap. You're probably here. (laughs) I say crap half-jokingly because the truth of the matter is when the Dolphins are among the league leaders 
in fewest penalties, which they have been, they almost always win. So he's right. It's kind of boring. He and I disagree about the whole identity thing. I would like to see the Dolphins get an identity on offense. Whatever it is, power football, up-tempo, spread it, throw around the yard, come up with something. He does not believe that. He has also had numerous offensive coordinators in his first three years. He had Chad O'Shea from the Patriots who failed. He had Chan Gailey from the Bills and Jets who did not work out, although the numbers last year were better than this year. He started off with Charlie Fry calling plays. He's had, and he wasn't even the offensive coordinator. So I will say this at the end of my rant here. Flores is a good coach. He needs to get his staff right. He needs to get his staff right, especially his offensive line coach and his offensive coordinator and his offensive strategy. You know, it's funny because you you joked and as you were talking and you even said, it sounds like a lot of things you guys are hearing. And and it really is. I mean, you know, it's worth saying that Judge is a year behind in his in his program as opposed to Flores. You know, Flo had a year on him, but all of the things that you said that Flores has talked about uh, has come out of Joe Judge's mouth as well. So it's clear that not only did those guys serve under Bill Belichick, they were in the same office. You know, Jerry Shaplinsky, the quarterback's coach of the Giants, uh, Patrick Graham, obviously, Brian Flores, Joe Judge, all those guys spent countless hours together. So it's clear that what they're pushing is not necessarily what you would consider, quote-unquote, crap or a BS. That's just the way they believe it works. But, you know, Matt Patricia believed it worked that way as well, and we know what happened to him in Detroit, and we can go on and on and on about guys who came from that tree. Uh, but it's interesting. You say the OC, that the the Dolphins are still kind of searching for an identity. The offensive line coach they have to get right. These are all things that are Joe Judge issues with the Giants. Uh, you know, so it, it really is these two teams going into this game. It's very interesting how they're not necessarily on the same trajectory, but they're certainly dealing with the same issues. You mentioned Tua. Let, let's get to Tua a little bit. And obviously I want to talk with Jalen Waddle. The Giants just saw Devontae Smith last week and did such a great job. I had Smith and Waddle as guys that the Giants would have taken uh, had they not traded down or had they not gone off the board before the Giants picked at 11 this past draft. Tell me about Tua, the confidence level. How did he handle the entire situation with with Deshaun Watson? And <clears throat> excuse me, if you know if he was the guy, he wasn't the guy. That kind of thing is is Tua taking too much heat? Not enough heat? Where is he at in his development? Well, you know, Tua is said to be mentally strong, and, and I do believe that to an extent. But we can all, as human beings, only take so much. So it is not a surprise to me that the Dolphins are 4-0 and Tua has played well since the trading deadline passed. They really eased a burden of drama and negativity and swirling controversy. Look, the deadline passed. Tua had the rest of the season to prove that they shouldn't make the final conclusion that they need to acquire Deshaun Watson, which is still certainly a possibility, especially if Watson's legal situation clears. Um, but listen, um, I did a study, actually, on the Palm Beach Post website, posted it a short time ago, in which I took a look over the last 10 years, every quarterback, and how they performed in their first 16 starts of their career. So there were 45 quarterbacks with 16 starts over the last 10 years, 
and Tua had the second-best completion percentage of every quarterback but Dak Prescott. So point number one, very accurate. Okay. Point number two, quarterback rating, around 14. That's about where I would say he is, about 14th. Okay. So, you know, is that good enough? It was better than Daniel Jones. It's, you know, better than Josh Rosen. Uh, listen, Josh Allen got off to a terrible start in his career. Tua certainly outperformed him at the beginning of his career. Um, Tua, and I tweeted this, and people are killing me about Tua, because if you say something nice about him, this army comes after you. If you criticize him, another army comes after you. It's, he's the most polarizing athlete. I have ever covered in my life. Wow. And beyond beyond Tim Tebow, beyond anything I've ever seen, it, 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 people are dug in. The one camp believes that nothing is, is his fault. The other camp believes that he will never be elite. And as is the case with most things, Art, the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. Tua is probably never going to reach the expectations that the Dolphins had when they made him the fifth overall pick. Why? Two concerns, durability and arm strength. You cannot throw the deep ball efficiently, effectively, and consistently. We just haven't seen it yet. Can he still be very good and efficient and accurate and win games and bring the Dolphins to the playoffs? Absolutely. What the Dolphins will need to determine at the end of the season is whether or not they think that, number one, can if they can envision him, leading their team to a Super Bowl. He's got six, whatever it is, five, six more games to prove that he is that guy. Uh, I mentioned Waddle. Is he a product of, as Tua goes, Waddle's numbers will increase? I know he's coming off of a big game against the Panthers. What have you seen from Jalen Waddle, and has there been any concerns about the ankle from you know from last year and obviously was going into the draft that seemed to be uh, one of the marks uh, – people are trying to use against him yeah you know sunday's game against the panthers marked 400 days since jalen waddle sustained a serious ankle injury in a game playing for alabama against tennessee well why does that matter it matters because he looks faster than me art he looks healthier he looks more explosive and i'm talking in the last two three weeks he's got that burst he took that crosser and took a 57 yards against the Panthers. It's exciting. That's what the Dolphins drafted him for, to be Tyreek Hill-like. Up until the last two, three weeks, he had been more Jarvis Landry-like. Hmm. Now, Dolphin fans admire, love, and respect everything Jarvis Landry was, but he was just a volume machine. Occasional big play, yes, but what they're looking for is more of the Tyreek Hill stuff. And with Devontae Parker and Will Fuller both out for at least the last four games uh, with injury. Dolphins have all kinds of wide receiver injuries. Uh, Waddle has really kind of shown he's going to have a hard time living up to that sixth pick in the draft status. He really is. But if he can at least be a dynamic, explosive, exciting, thrilling, dangerous weapon that opponents actually have to game plan, then the pick will be worth it. All right. Well, you've been giving me a lot of time, so I really appreciate it. I'll go to the last one on Flores and Boyer in the defense, as well as they're playing, how will they attack this Giants offense from what you've seen? You obviously mentioned Daniel Jones earlier. Uh, Saquon Barkley still has not had that one game where people feel like he's 100% back to where he is. If you know this defense, how do they attack the Giants come Sunday? Well, they say like you guys try to do and like the Patriots try to do, they try to focus on the number one most dangerous weapon. So you tell me, is it Barkley it's on Sunday? Is it Barkley or is it Galladay or is it somebody else? 
It's a good question. A really good question. I don't know if Kadarius Tony. I don't know if Kadarius Tony will be back uh, healthy wise, but he might be the guy that I would try to take out of the game uh, because when he's been at his best, which has been very brief this year, uh, he's been the guy that kind of makes things go. I mean, maybe they take away Galladay, like you said, um, or Barkley in space, but it, that that kind of speaks to where the Giants are at. No offensive identity, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, for the Dolphins, but well, but they haven't played well to that point. Dolphins have very much improved against the run, um, and they, and they can always stick Xavier Howard on Kenny Galladay. Xavier Howard is back to his, you know, all pro form. This is a guy in Xavier who has more interceptions, twenty five interceptions in his career, faster than any player in NFL history. This guy is a superstar. He is one of the best players in Dolphins history. One of the best players in the NFL right now. That's why they did the unusual thing of adjusting his contract. I think the Dolphins are just going to stick with what they've been doing. They have been humiliating and embarrassing opposing quarterbacks. They have been confusing them. They have been rattling them. They have been hitting them. They will try, in my opinion, to attack and destroy and sack and force fumble and even potentially knock out, knock on wood. We like Daniel Jones. We want to stay healthy. But they will have a bullseye in Daniel Jones, and they will come after him and say, all right, let's see what you got. So basically you're telling me that the Giants are going to look at, at all this film and know what they get from Flo, the idea that <clears throat> we're going to see a lot of screens, a lot of trying to get guys to the edges on the outside because Dolphins are coming. I mean, basically they are coming from the moment the, the game starts. So it's one of those things where if, if this is a week that Daniel Jones uh, can get into space himself – we may end up seeing him do a lot of the running uh, as opposed to what they may have in the backfield, just trying to play off of the Dolphins' aggressiveness, especially on the edges. Yeah, Dolphins have been vulnerable to quarterback run, have been susceptible to some screens. So if Barkley and or Tony can get involved in the screen game. But the Dolphins, just to be clear, they have, at this point, they have one of the defenses that's playing among the best in the NFL and all, over the last four weeks because they have guys – who can do everything. They can blitz. They can drop back into coverage. A guy like Jalen Phillips, a monster. He has been so good. Three sacks last week. He is a guy who can rush you while he has his hand on the ground, rush you while he's standing up. He can rush you over the tackle. He can destroy centers and guards. Then he can drop back into coverage. So, I mean, I'm not going to say he's Jason Taylor-like, but he physically looks like that. So... And no, no injury, no injury issues with Jalen Phillips. He was a guy that we, you know, obviously, I think we're going to have this forever, forever long. Uh, Flores and Judge are in their respective teams, but I mean, there's so much overlap in players that they're targeting and stuff like that. Jalen Phillips was a guy that that I know the Giants like that you know we had uh, as reporters had all our eyes on. Uh, obviously, the big question was the concussions. Ha- has he played? you know, throughout this season as a rookie? Yeah, you know, Phillips has had a couple of nicks here and there, but he is he is he has been able to stay on the field. Um, you know, obviously anytime you have a player with multiple concussions, three or more, uh, that's gonna be a huge concern. Uh but, you know, as long as this guy does stay healthy, uh, I believe he's gonna be just outstanding. Yeah, I agreed the same way. So listen, Joe, thanks so much for all the information. Appreciate you joining me, and I will see you on Sunday. Yeah, it's uh, 77 degrees and sunny, so you'll enjoy this. 
30, 38 and flurries here in, in uh, New York, New Jersey. So it's a welcome change. Yeah, All right, Joe. Thanks, man. My thanks to Joe Shad for joining us for our Behind Frenemy Line segment this week. And, you know, this is a familiar theme for the Giants, playing a team that's gotten on a roll. It was the Eagles, it was the Raiders, and now it's the Dolphins. So they head down to South Beach, or a little bit north of that, Miami Gardens, to play the Dolphins. And there's going to be a lot of speculation regarding Daniel Jones by the time this show uh, hits your favorite podcast platforms. We still won't have a definitive statement on Jones, but I think it's going to be Mike Glennon at quarterback. It just makes too much sense, and the Giants will reassess uh, going forward. One wrinkle to this entire weekend is that when the Giants leave New Jersey on Saturday for Miami, they will not return home again until the 13th. They are staying in Arizona next week. We will be with the team in Arizona at the campus of the University of Arizona. That's where they'll practice. They'll kind of set up a camp away from home. The theory is to stay on the West Coast to enjoy the weather uh, and to get ready to play the Chargers in L.A. on the the 12th, I guess it is. Trying to go through my dates in my head. It'll probably be the 12th in, in L.A., Uh, Excited to see that new stadium, actually. Uh, But in terms of where the Giants are at, this is going to be a very interesting two weeks, especially if Daniel Jones doesn't play. Can this offense get going? Can Saquon Barkley and this offensive line find any daylight to kind of get this running game going? And as far as the health of Kadarius Toney and Sterling Shepard, will they get back in the mix? And is this defense good enough to carry this team right now? They certainly beat the Eagles. They're playing extremely well. Xavier McKinney is becoming a star on the back end before our eyes. Tipico has the Dolphins as four and a half point favorites right now, up from three and a half. So obviously the status of Jones is causing that line to grow. Uh, I think it'll be a close game. I think there will be... A lot of determination on the Giants' side, especially going up against Brian Flores and the staff with Miami. Uh, Judge, Graham, Jerry Shaplinski, all these guys are are very tight. They've kind of grown up together in the coaching tree in New England. Uh, So I think there probably is a lot of pride at stake this weekend. They know each other very well. Uh, No one wants to get embarrassed. So at 4-7, and there's a lot to play for for the Giants. The one final thing I will leave you with is the idea that for all the talk that maybe there's an outside shot at getting back into the playoff contention with that seventh wild the seventh seed in the wild card in the NFC. The Giants also have two top ten picks right now in the twenty twenty two NFL draft. Right now, if the season ended today, they'd be picking sixth themselves, and then the Bears have the seventh overall selection that goes to the Giants from that trade that was made back in the spring. So it's an interesting line to walk for the Giants, and especially for the Giants fans. And I know we've gotten way used to focusing on the draft at this point, uh, and we may get there regardless. The playoffs are certainly a pipe dream at 4-7. and seven. But if the Giants can somehow upset the Dolphins and get to 5-7, and seven, 
Now you start talking about and dreaming, okay, maybe this is a little bit of a run that they're on rather than just smoke and mirrors and Philly losing the game rather than the Giants coming back and doing what they had to make sure that they won the game. So that's where we're at. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We're back and we should go right through to the end of the season. We'll see about the holidays. Hopefully everyone is enjoying a holiday season, happy and a healthy one. And we hope you stay all in.